Good morning. At its peak, the Roman Empire could best be described as vast. It was the largest empire that the world had ever seen, and as a consequence of that, it was great at many things. It was extremely excellent in the fields of science and mathematics and poetry and other arts. It had the greatest political system that the world had seen at the time, a system that was representative of its people and yet also fully functional. And it also had a great military might. And it was this military might that we're going to focus on today for just a couple of minutes as we examine why we are here on this Sunday celebrating what we are. The military might of Rome was so powerful that when a general returned from the campaign field, successful in his battles against many enemies across the world, he could not return to the city of Rome with his army. When he wished to return, he had to leave his army in the field, take off his armor, leave his weapons, and ride in in a simple citizen's toga, on a horse, back into the city. But when he arrived in the city, he arrived to a great parade, with lots of cheering, a huge crowd celebrating and drinking and having festivities. It was his triumph over his enemies in the field. Today we gather to remember a different kind of triumph. The triumphal return of Christ to Jerusalem. In the twelfth chapter of John, it is written like this. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out loud, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. Won't you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we gather and recognize the sacrifice of Christ. We ask that you would put a weight on our hearts that this week we would carry it with us, remembering what was done, what he went through for us and at our hand. And we ask that this message today would be glorifying to you, Lord, and that we would continually be pointed towards you in all that we do. In the name of the Son we pray. Amen. So, I know when Luke got up and said, Rob's going to be preaching today, you guys were expecting one thing, so I'm going to fulfill that right now. We're going to study Hebrew. I know everybody's really excited. So the thematic word for this passage today is atonement. And if you're not familiar with the word atonement, you're going to be very familiar in just a few seconds. So the Hebrew word kafar is the word that we typically translate as atonement. Now, the first time it appears in the Bible, it's not translated that way. It's translated as cover up. Uh, when the Lord is speaking to Noah about the ark, he tells him to cover it with pitch. And they use the word kafar. 
Now, you guys probably won't remember this in 20 years, but hopefully you'll remember that I stood up here and made weird sounds and gestured wildly. But we're going to try and teach you the word kafar so that you can leave here and tell everybody that you know how to speak Hebrew, okay? So I'm going to teach you the way I learned to memorize the word kafar for my Hebrew class. And I'm going to gesture at you, and you can repeat after what I say, okay? So we're going to start with this. Cover up. Kavar up. Kafar up. Kafar. Man, that's amazing. You guys speak Hebrew now. And get this. If we do this every Sunday for the next 16 years, you will be able to read every word of the Old Testament. So, I mean, Luke, think about it. So we know what atonement means now, right? It's a covering up of our sins. It's a curing of the imperfection that is our sin. So that leaves the question, do you need atonement? The answer, probably behind me, you have a need for atonement. Perhaps you're the type of person who thinks, I go to church every Sunday, sometimes on Wednesdays. I go and help paint the outside of the church or... I shovel snow or sweep up, you know, leaves or whatever you come do at the church, and you think that's enough to make you righteous. Or maybe you're a person who goes and feeds the hungry and helps out with the sick and the poor, and you think that's enough to make you righteous. It's not enough. Our standard for righteousness is not enough. Our standard for righteousness is Christ. So what prevents us from meeting that standard of righteousness? We talked about it almost every week this year. Sin. Sin is what stands in the way of us and reunion with the Father and his glory. So let's talk about sin. What does the Bible say about sin? Most people are pretty familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? It reads this way. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work or do any work you, your son, or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant 
or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Now, I apologize for having read that to you, as you're all very familiar with it. But what you may not be as familiar with are the 603 additional commandments that we find in the books of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, and I'm going to read them all to you right now. I'm just kidding. If I did read them to you, you would probably each be guilty of the sin of falling asleep in church. But I will talk about some general categories. So of those 603 additional commandments, we have 10 commands about our relationship with God, six about dealing with the Torah, five on signs and symbols of the covenant, four on prayers and blessings, 14 on love and brotherhood, 12 on dealing with the poor and less fortunate, six on dealing with the Gentiles, 23 on managing families, 25 on forbidden sexual relations, 36 on times and seasons, 27 on food and drink, 14 on business practices, 19 on servants and slaves, 7 on oaths and vows, 17 on the sabbatical and jubilee years, 36 on judicial procedure, 4 on injuries and damages, 11 on property rights, 7 on criminal laws, 24 on punishment and restitution, 3 on prophecy, 46 on idolatry, 7 on agriculture and livestock, Three on clothing, four on the firstborn child, 30 on the priests and their role, 24 on tithes and taxes, 33 on the temple, 102 on sacrifices and offerings, 16 on ritual purity, four on leprosy, seven on kings, 10 on the Nazarites or consecrated ones, and 16 on wars. Whew. That's a lot to live by. I don't know that I could do it. And God knows that I can't do it. So when Jesus came, as he said, not to abolish the law but fulfill it, when asked what were the important commandments, he responded like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and another is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, that just means the entire Old Testament. Um, So what Jesus is saying is that everything that I listed off in that huge list of 603 commands, everything that we have to live by is based off of loving God and loving our neighbor. Now, that seems pretty easy. Love God, love your neighbor. Bad news. Jesus made it really simple, and we failed really miserably. Every day, we fail very miserably. But there is a bright side of that. However, through our continued rebelliousness, we have denied God in our very way of life. Christ is the standard of righteousness that we have failed to meet. And we have fallen far short of it. If Cameron had started the ceremony today with a ritual sacrifice that atoned for our sins, by the time we get out of here in about 35 minutes, we would all probably be guilty again. Because we are born sinners. We have inherited Adam's sin, and through that sin, we have inherited a corruption that plagues us from birth to rebirth and to death. 
David remarks in this manner in the Psalms. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Our hearts are always inclined towards sin. Every day, each of us struggles with the pull of sin on our hearts. A famous preacher once remarked that if you do not believe we are born with sin, then you haven't had kids yet. Because, as you all know, we don't have to teach kids to be bad. We are all born and we learn how to be bad apparently almost immediately. It's the learning to be good that takes the next 18 to 30 years. But don't be fooled. Hell is real. There is a real, eternal torment and separation from God waiting for you if you do not accept Christ as your, as your Savior. So, do you come to church all the time? Not good enough. Feed the poor? Not good enough. Are your husband working all week and you provide for your family and you go home and spend time with them and you love on them and you make them feel important and special? Not good enough. That way lies legalism. That way lies thinking if you can just fulfill all the little parts of the law, you don't need atonement. And that's not what we're taught in the Word. We're taught that we are sinners. We are vile and wretched and rebellious. And we have from our very birth stood opposed to righteousness. We have hated God. But God has loved us. He loved us. And because he loved us, he has made a plan for us. If you'd like to go ahead and turn now to Leviticus chapter 16, I know you've long been awaiting that moment. We are not going to read through it in entirety. We are going to get a basic outline so as to better understand what is happening in these passages. So what's the context of Leviticus 16? It's been a couple of weeks since we read it, but if you recall, the chapters leading up to it outline various sacrifices and ceremonies that are needed to perform to atone for different sins. So perhaps you have to, you know, kill a goat or a dove or something like that to atone for your sin against your neighbor. But God, knowing that our way was not perfection, set aside a special day, which is entitled the Day of Atonement. So let's break down that day. It begins with Aaron, the high priest, or whichever high priest follows him, taking off the special high priest garb that he wore all throughout the year and putting on a plain, simple linen garb. Now, I want you to imagine how different this is because if you think about it like, you know, Luke's going to put on jeans and a t-shirt later, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the high priest wore something really extravagant. He had a robe and a gold breastplate and a sweet turban. I mean, he was decked out to the nines. But on this day, he humbled himself, putting on the linen robes of a normal priest, a normal Levite priest, and committing to the Lord's work. The first thing he would do is sacrifice a bull to make atonement for himself and his house. 
because he could not enter into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, without having atoned for his own sin. So he would take the blood from the bull and he would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat, which is on the ark, and he would atone for his sin so that he could enter in. Next, he would take two goats from the village that were offered as sacrifice and he would cast lots over them. Now, if you're not familiar with the idea of casting lots, it's basically flipping a coin. That's as best a guess we can take at it. Um, but it wasn't about chance. Because as we learn in Proverbs, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This was an opportunity for the Lord to influence which goat was going to get the sacrifice in and which goat was going to get the letting go. And so the goat who received the lot for the Lord would be sacrificed for atonement. And the other would have the high priest's hands placed over its head, have the sins of the entire people of Israel put onto it, and it would be taken out into the wilderness, it says, to Azazel. Now, one quick note about that. As you're reading it, you're probably a little confused about that word. We don't know what Azazel means. It can mean one of two things. The wilderness or a wilderness demon. Now, I prefer to take the most simple and most straightforward reading of the text, and for that reason, I would translate it as the wilderness, but both are completely valid, um, to, depending on what translation you're reading. Then Aaron would proceed to put incense on the fire in the Holy of Holies so that the mercy seat on the ark is covered, and he would sprinkle more blood from the bull, and then he would exit the Holy of Holies and sacrifice the goat. And then he would go back in and sprinkle the blood on the Holy of Holies. Then he, that would make atonement for the holy place. The reason it says is that the holy place being inside, in the midst of the people of Israel, caused it to be unclean. So even the location where the worshiping was being done was unclean because of the people. Now it's important to note here that no one else must be in the tent when Aaron is doing his work. It's important because Aaron is supposed to be the one doing all the work. The whole rest of the year, the other priests handle the sacrifices and they handle the daily dealings of the temple. But on this day, it was only Aaron who was supposed to be at work. And then finally, he would remove the linen garments, bathe, put his original high priest vestment on, come out to the people and offer a burnt offering, at which point the ceremony would be complete. And the, tones for the, uh, the sins for all of Israel would be atoned for for the year. Now, you may notice that we do not keep a high priest on retainer. And we do not often, often ask for goats to sacrifice, as I'm sure Tom and Becky are really happy about. So what's the deal? What atonement is being made for our sins now? How do you know that your sins are not hovering over you, waiting on you to die? This brings us to the next part of God's plan. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of atonement. So in a lot of Bible studies, you will see a pattern of going through the Old Testament and looking at every verse and saying, how does this point to Christ? How does this point to Christ? How does this point to Christ? That's fine. 
I don't personally believe that every verse points to Christ, and that is evidenced by any reading of the Old Testament. But this passage in particular is a constant reminder of Christ. And it's important when we see these things, when we see these indications of Christ throughout the Old Testament, that we remember Christ is not plan B. God didn't make Adam and Eve, and then they failed, and he was like, oh, what can I do next? I got it. We'll do Noah and the ark. Oh, they failed. What next? Abraham. Oh, he failed. What next? No. Christ is plan A. The intent was always to get to the point where Christ is going to redeem us of our sins. The author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to show us the ways in which Christ fulfills the role of high priest for us. He fulfills that role, and he also fulfills the role of willing sacrifice. In Hebrews, it says this, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then those for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Christ is the role of high priest. He is the prototype for what it means to be the high priest. And in the same way that Aaron had to humble himself, Christ too humbled himself, not by putting on linen garb, but by becoming man and coming to earth to live with us and be with us and be among us during his earthly ministry. He is the high priest for whom atonement, for whom no atonement need be made. Because he is perfect, he does not have to atone for his sins before approaching God. He is the perfect sacrifice, pure and undefiled. The sinless being who can atone for all of our sins in one fell swoop. I heard a story once to describe atonement that went like this. So I get a speeding ticket, and I go to court because I'm going to fight it. And the judge happens to be a buddy of mine. Lucky day. But he says that I'm guilty of the speeding ticket. And when he says guilty, bangs his gavel, he jumps down, throws off his robe, runs around to the other side of the bench, and pays my speeding ticket for me. Friends, let me give you a different interpretation. Atonement means you go before the judge with your speeding ticket, and he says, what speeding ticket? Your sins aren't being hidden. They're gone. Your sins have not been placed on the head of a goat. They've been placed on the head of the cross. And when Christ died and his blood was sprinkled for us, in atonement for our sins, it was complete and whole, and it was fully good. Praise the Lord. More than 150 years ago, 
Charles Spurgeon, a preacher in England, preaching this exact same subject, said this, O glorious high priest, thou hast done it all alone. O glorious antitype of Aaron, no son of thine stood with thee. No Eliezer, no Phineas burned incense. There was no priest, no Levite save himself. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. Then give all the glory unto his holy name, for alone and unassisted he made atonement for your guilt. The bath of his blood is your only washing. The stream of water from his side is your perfect purification. None but Jesus, none but Jesus has wrought out the work of our salvation. Church, as we go out from here today, I ask you to consider Christ's triumph. I ask you to consider the weak that would see Christ crucified, buried in a tomb, and risen again three days later in glory. And I ask you to look forward to these meetings that we will have over the next week as we get to celebrate this time when our sins are being atoned for. Because on that day, on the cross, Christ fulfilled our day of atonement. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect atonement. We thank you for your work in our lives that have led to these moments where we can hear about your word and we can hear about your work in our lives. We ask that you would guide us out today with a weight on our hearts that we would not sit idly by as atonement is made for us, but that we would be willing partakers in your glory, that we would gather together and praise your holy name. We are thankful for the sacrifice on the cross. We are thankful for Christ who did it. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.